The harvest is plenty. I speak to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. There's nothing like discovering a big truck with its bed filled with summer peaches parked by the side of a country road. An extra point that there's a sign and it's hand painted and it just says, peaches. You know the only response is to pull over and park and step out of your vehicle to check it out. And your senses, they are immediately overtaken by earthy honey notes in the air, the distinctive perfume of peaches wafting towards you, enhanced by the summer heat. And perhaps you grab a basket and start loading it with the velvety orbs. Memories may transport you to your grandmother's kitchen as she gently just teaspoons dollops of ice water into a floury mixture the secret to her perfectly flaky pie crust for the ultimate peach pie. And your mind may buzz with the possibilities. A savory, sweet, balsamic glaze over grilled peaches with flecks of goat cheese and tiny ribbons of basil. A cobbler or preserves or simply peaches sliced over vanilla ice cream enjoyed with family, friends, or a neighbor. Are you hungry yet? <laughs> I'm sad to say I did not bring a peach pie, so please forgive me. <laughs> but these are all tasty signs of an abundant harvest. And today, however, Jesus invites us to think of a different kind of harvest. We hear in the opening lines of our gospel that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. His compassion takes on a note of urgency as he encounters those who seem as helpless as sheep without a shepherd. And this imagery harkens back to earlier passages in the book of the prophet Ezekiel that would be familiar to Jesus, such as chapter 34, in which the prophet receives the word of the Lord and offers a stunning critique of those in power who do not care for their flock. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. Perhaps these prophetic words moved into the imagination of Jesus as he took in each face, those who were oppressed and hurt, hungry. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with no one to teach or seek for them. Jesus, the Son of God, is the good shepherd that has been sent to gather his flock from every corner. He is also the Lord of the harvest, and it is time to send out his chosen laborers into the kingdom, ripe for mission and ministry. He turns to the disciples, and this is his charge. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus instructs them in their mission, 
And additionally, in this text, we notice that the author takes seriously the commissioning by naming the twelve and giving them the title of apostle. And the word apostle being used in the book of Matthew is significant. Throughout the entire gospel, the word apostle is used only once in this passage. As apostles, they are now ones who are being directed by God and filled with the Holy Spirit. But before we get too excited about this lofty title being placed upon them, we must remember that they were ordinary. They were human, flawed, and vulnerable like us. And this is who the Lord of the harvest selects. Peter, chosen as the rock, the one to build the church, will deny Jesus in the hours before his crucifixion three times. Judas soundly betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew serves as a tax collector, Simon, a religious zealot. Others, simple fishermen. They are an interesting lot, are they not? But perhaps they are called just for that reason. Perhaps their lives more closely mirror those Jesus is calling them to serve, to proclaim the good news of the God of love and mercy. Their mission will be to go out and first minister to the lost sheep of Israel. They will be ambassadors for Christ. In many instances, they will be Christ to someone, not by elevating their ego with Messiah complexes, but by truly humbling themselves and depending on the hospitality and mercy of strangers, caring for the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, all of this in the name of Jesus. And as Jesus directs, they will not extensively prepare for this journey. No, they are not to pack a bag or bring extra clothes or money or food. In each town, they will rely upon those they meet. Will they be welcomed in? Or will they have to shake the dust off their sandals and keep going? They won't know until they go. Jesus understands that this will be daunting and dangerous work, but as laborers in God's fertile kingdom, their reward will be great in eternity. He does not shield them from the suffering that often accompanies the mantle of mission. He does not pretend that they will be able to avoid the difficulties that await them on their journey. He still, he still seeks to send his beloved twelve. After Jesus' death, there is a scattering of the men and great loss, and yet they will find a way to start again through the Spirit. Their lives and their labor will ripple through places and people, and the early clusters of religious communities will take shape, and somehow, somehow they will survive great challenges in ministry, even as they face threats of violence and persecution and death. Today, we are called by God as baptized Christians to be apprentices in the faith, to serve as agents of Christ in the world. After all, the Greek word for church, ecclesia, means to be called out. If we return to our opening collect this morning, 
we see that the church is referred to as God's household. It is through the mercy and grace of God that we are bound together, even though we are different from one another, all grafted into the vast family of God. And additionally, it is through the same mercy and grace that we are equipped by the Spirit to proclaim the truth with boldness and to minister justice and compassion, just like Jesus. The ancient practice of mission that we inherit as the household is one that even Abraham and Sarah participated in. We see this when God sends three mysterious figures to Abraham in our first lesson. And notice how this trio is received. When Abraham sees the figures, he runs from his tent entrance to meet them and bows to the ground. He recognizes that something special is happening, that these men carry God's word and promises. Both Abraham and Sarah greet them with generous hospitality and care for them, offering water so that they may clean up a bit and rest and be refreshed from their travels. Sarah bakes for them. The husband and wife, they prepare a lovely meal for these holy strangers. And it is in this interaction of the mingling of mission and hospitality that both the three visitors and Sarah and Abraham are blessed. It is in the sending and receiving that God's love manifests and moves through creation. In God's harvest, Abraham and Sarah do not receive fruit or grain. Instead, God blesses them with a long-awaited child, and they will name him Isaac. Scripture tells us that when we labor in God's mission fields, God not only blesses those we serve, but we, we are recipients of blessing. This leads us to our text from Paul's letter to the followers in Rome. And Paul can boast in hope, sharing the glory of God, even in moments of suffering in his life. And he can encourage the budding churches joyfully because he knows that God's love, it is poured into his heart, into their hearts, into our hearts. All of this by the Holy Spirit. And this is the gift that God still gives us. It is our inheritance as followers of Jesus. And as we walk along responding to God's call, we collect these spiritual snapshots of our lives to share with others. This not only feeds our faith, but nourishes others. And it builds the strength, it builds up the body of Christ. As we examine our ever-evolving call to mission and ministry, we might consider, who are we being called towards? And what are we being asked to do? Who might support us or partner with us along the way? Who might you identify as someone to invite to walk alongside you in ministry? What might you join in? How can we be creative and innovative? How might we ask God to prayerfully equip us for the next stage in our mission as the church that seeks to share 
God's love with everyone. We may find ourselves on a new precipice of mission and ministry, on the edge of uncharted frontiers. Throughout the history of heavenly rest, we have been blessed with an ever-present God to lead us into the future, even into the unknown. And we celebrate with joy for the fruits of laborers who have given much to this church and this community. And we seek new ways to invite more laborers to the mission fields. We may not be certain about what God is calling us towards next. However, it doesn't take much to notice that the world is ripe and ready and that we, like the apostles, are just the laborers being called to participate in the bountiful harvest of God. Amen.